Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. So a pirate walks into a bar. He's got a peg leg and a hook for a hand. He sits down. The bartender says, hey, buddy, what happened to your leg? And the pirate says, arr, a shark jumped up and bit me leg off. And the bartender says, how about your hand? What happened there? And he says, arr, matey, I lost my hand in a sard fight. And the bartender says, well, what happened to your eye? Why you wear that patch? And the pirate says, a bird flew over and pooped in me eye. The bartender says, well, why couldn't you just wash it out or something? Why do you have to wear an eye patch? And he says, well, it was the day after I got me hook. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from singer-songwriter Henry Wolf. His album Linda Vista is coming soon. And coming up, actor Paul Giamatti, credit card armor, chat roulette, horse necks, a whale of a garnish, and heavens on fire. But first, time for small talk. So, Brendan, in the news this week, the headlines were, of course, dominated by the tragic shooting in Tucson. Yes, still in the headlines. Unfortunately. Other things did happen this week, though, also kind of sad. Uh, There were floods in Australia. Yep. Riots in Tunisia. Indeed. And uh, former House Speaker Tom DeLay was sentenced to three years for money laundering. So it wasn't, it wasn't, everything wasn't so bad. Yeah, the justice system's still working. Thumbs up for that. Anyway, after a week like this, dear listeners, we hope you take some time this weekend with family and friends. Yes. At which point you might want some stories to smile about. We asked the folks at Marketplace to tell us a few. Delassi Michelis, web developer for Marketplace, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Dwayne Reed, a, a division of Walgreens, just opened up a new place in a hip, artsy neighborhood in Brooklyn, and they were a little bit worried folks wouldn't like them because those folks like their local pharmacies. And so, have they been shunned? No, actually, they've been well embraced because Dwayne Reed decided to sell fancy draft beer in the drugstore. <laughs> That's all it took to placate them was beer? Yeah, you think they'd at least hold out for a skinny jeans tailor or something. John Haas, editor, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? A guy gets kicked out of a bar in Germany and stabs the doorman three times on his way out. Uh, Great story. (laughs) Well, there is good news. The bouncer actually came away unscathed because he had a wallet in his breast pocket. It was stuffed with credit cards and... There were enough cards to survive a knife attack? He had a total of 20 cards, most of them were video rental cards. It's as if he hadn't cleaned out his wallet since 2003. Man, but that's a good argument for clinging to outmoded forms of media. Uh, yeah. Adrian Hill, reporter for Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? I'm going to be talking about Chat Roulette, which, if you remember, is the website where you see a live video feed of random strangers from around the world. But then it became a magnet for men who wanted to expose themselves. There was naked everywhere on Chat Roulette, and basically they realized they can turn it into money. I'm afraid to ask, how? Well, they basically have a system where people can flag any other people who are getting a little too naked online. And if you get flagged enough, they send you to an adult partner site. And Chatroulette actually gets paid for each referral. So right now they're making a hundred grand a month off all these naked men. I can't believe it. Super clever, right? No, I can't believe they're making this much money off of me. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a fountain pen, but instead of ink, it leaks booze. That's why history is written by the victors. That is right. Just got it right there. A little tipsy. First, the history. This week, back in 1870, the most famous donkey in American history was born. The folks at your dinner party probably won't know what we're talking about. Thanks to our friend Michelle Philippi, you're about to. 
The beloved symbol of the Democratic Party was created by a fierce Republican. His name was Thomas Nast, and he was the most powerful political cartoonist ever. Abraham Lincoln said Nast's cartoons helped him win re-election. Lincoln, of course, was a Republican. Nast wouldn't help Democrats win anything. Why? Well, among other things, Nast supported Lincoln's civil war, but lots of Democrats opposed it. In fact, when Lincoln's war secretary, Edwin Stanton, died, some Dem-owned newspapers disrespected him in their obituaries. Outraged, Nast fired off his most infamous cartoon. It portrayed Stanton as a proud, dead lion, and the anti-war Democrats as a crazed jackass kicking the corpse. Dems weren't super pleased with the insult, but Nast, and then others, kept trotting out the Dem donkey in cartoons. And over the years, the party embraced it as their symbol. Meanwhile, in 1874, the donkey got a companion. When Nast first portrayed the Republican Party as an elephant, he drew it fleeing from a jackass, straight off the edge of a cliff. So that was the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Alex Bookless, bar manager, bartender at The Passenger in Washington, D.C. Alex, what drink did that history inspire you to make? I was inspired to make a spinoff of a classic cocktail called The Horse's Neck. The Horse's um, Neck. Yeah. Why would you name a drink The Horse's Neck? That drink has a long lemon peel that kind of hangs over the edge of a glass and reminds people of a horse's neck. All right, I'm still not sure I understand that, but you have a variation on this? I do. I'm using Grand Classico Spirit. It's red to represent the Republican Lincoln, and it's bitter to represent the bitterness of Thomas Nash. That sounds perfectly appropriate, and it's like the Grand Old Party. It's the Grand Classico, so that's fitting. I have uh, one and a half ounces of bourbon, America's national spirit, so I had to be a little patriotic with that. I appreciate that. Um, You want to finish it with ginger ale and soda water, Mm -hmm. and of course, a long peel. In this case, I'm using an orange. So what are you going to call this? That's what I need your help with, probably. (laughs) I could call it a jackass's neck, or I could call it a donkey's neck, or I could call it a lion's head with a kick. Well, you're not really presenting me with a choice there. I mean, I I, (laughs) I think I have to go with... The jackass neck. I agree. So, Brendan, I think there is actually one thing on which Democrats and Republicans will agree. Can't wait to hear it. It's that they will never order something called a jackass neck. <laughs> All ever. Right. Well, I, it was that or the donkey neck, which that right off the bat would alienate Republicans. All right. So, so call it the, the tax incentive. <laughs> Boom. They'll order a double. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll find more than drink names on our website. The recipes are there, too. Go to dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guest of honor this week is Paul Giamatti. He was the star of movies like Sideways and American Splendor. This Sunday, he's up for a Golden Globe as Best Actor for his starring role in the movie Barney's Version. It goes into wide release this weekend. And Paul, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, to be specific, you are up for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. That's right. I I am. Yes, indeed. The movie is funny, but... There's no music in it, uh, strangely (laughs) enough. But, I mean, it treads a very delicate line between humor and and real pain. Definitely. Do you want to attempt the difficult task of summarizing this thing? It's not easy. No, it isn't easy. I would say that it's a kind of epic, 
intimate character study with romantic, comedic elements and some dark elements. It's like the Lawrence of Arabia of marriage dramas. That is exactly perfect. That's much better what you just said. In short, it follows a, a guy through a vast swath of his life. 30 years, yeah. As he makes a lot of really painful mistakes, particularly in his triple marriages. Indeed, yeah. Wow, I like you with glasses. What are you doing here? Run away with me. What? Run away with me. Or, or stay with me. I don't care. Or I can go with you. Are you out of your mind? No, I'm, I'm, I'm bent over backwards in love with you, Miriam. I'm, I'm the heels overhead completely. Don't be ridiculous. We just met at your wedding. <laughs> it's not funny. You know, this movie is based on a popular Canadian novel. The author of the book is Mordecai Rickler. When you were prepping for the role, did you encounter, like, Rickler fanboys who were like, don't don't you mess with our national literature, Yankee? (laughs) It's amazing how part of the cultural fabric that book is and the author is. The director and the producer were like crazy fanboys. So if it was going to get screwed up, it was going to be their fault. (laughs) They, They would bear the brunt of Canadian rage. Which is something to behold, I think. (laughs) What's interesting, too, is we shot in Italy. The younger parts of the character's life are are in Italy. And um, the book is actually almost even more phenomenally huge in Italy than it is in Canada. Can you give me examples thereof? I mean, like, were you, you know, are there action figures of Barney? There are no action figures with with realistic whiskey drink and action kind of thing. He doesn't like his alcohol. I, I don't know. Maybe there are in Italy. But I can say everybody's read it and... There is a column in one of the newspapers called Barney's Version that's been there for 25 years. Really? It's written in the voice sort of of that character. And it's sort of, you know, it takes on issues of the day, political for the most part, because the book is, there's a lot of politics. There's a Mm. lot of stuff about French-Canadian separatism, which, you know, strangely enough, didn't make it into the film. You didn't think that would translate across borders? It might have been a problem. People might have gotten hung up on that. All right. We asked two standard questions of everybody on the show. Okay. The first of them is, if we were to meet you at a dinner party, what question would you least like to be asked? Something about wine, about what kind of wine should we be drinking with this meal. Because of your role in Sideways, the movie. Yes. Your character was a wine lover. An enophile, as they call it, yes. Do you not know anything? I mean, can you even fake it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing about it. And everybody (laughs) thinks I do. Even friends of mine think I do. At this point, you might want to invest in a little book or something just to bone up. (laughs) No, I don't want to please anybody in that regard. All right. Well, second question is sort of a flip on that. Tell us something we don't know. I'm actually about five foot ten. Most people think I'm like five two. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually taller than everybody thinks I am. That's interesting. People usually meet an actor and it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't as big as I thought he'd be. Right. They're usually shorter. But film is that magical place where short people look tall and tall people look short. So Rico, that's kind of like how people are always surprised to find out that we're bodybuilders. Yeah, I'm surprised to find that out, (laughs) frankly. Dude, quiet. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get a peek into our daily regimen, you can go to facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. It's brutal. (laughs) 
So we met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. So this week, Rico, I was reading the Atlantic Magazine food blog, and mm. I had one of those, is this real or is this satire moment? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I have those sometimes watching C-SPAN. Yeah. <laughs> All the time, actually. <laughs> well, I was reading about an emerging cocktail trend. Uh, people are putting ambergris in cocktails. Okay. Ambergris is cholesterol that develops in a whale's intestine. <laughs> wow. What was wrong with olives? For one, right? <laughs> and another thing, which end of the whale does the ambergris come from? Oh, my God. Which is God. the first thing I asked the Atlantic's Derek Brown, the guy who wrote the piece. My understanding is that it comes primarily through belching it up, and uh, it floats out to sea. Oh, I see. The excrement of a whale is actually liquid. People swim in that. Oh, I see. Pleasant. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so what is it about whale vomit that makes it so tasty? Uh, it gains its sort of unusual aromas and presence through traveling in the sea. What happens is after it's coughed up, it uh, floats in the water. It actually is oxidized. It is exposed partially to the sun, totally to the water. And the result is that it uh, gains this rich musky odor, and it's sort of dark and waxy. And we sh I should point out to our audience that the reason I'm not smelling it is because I'm in Los Angeles, and I've looked for this now for <laughs> three days, and um, I haven't been able to find it. Yeah, it's very rare. The ambergris that is now bought and sold is what floats up onto the beach, and that makes it very rare to find, and it makes it very expensive. It's more expensive than gold or truffles. I was gonna, so this, yeah, this sounds almost like a truffle of the sea in its rarity, and even in the in the way you describe the scent. Exactly. I mean, it reminds me a lot of truffles, and and in, I partially used it like that in in one drink, which is called a port negus. It's sort of like a a punch. It's with a little lemon juice, some sugar, port. You make it hot, and then shave the ambergris on top of it and it adds a lot of complexity to the drink. What about this taste? Is it like a stunt or like this wonderful yeah, flavor? No, it tastes good. Okay. I mean, it, it adds <laughs> it to it. And, and that you'll notice that it's a very briny, watery smell. It reminds me of sort of falling face first into the ocean. Hmm. Taking a step back, why do we garnish cocktails at all? Uh, do we do it for flavor? Do we do it for decoration or status? Well, ideally, cocktails are an organoleptic experience. Whoa, what does that mean? <laughs> Involving all of the senses. Okay. As humans, we don't just uh, consume things and taste them in our mouths, and that's it. We see them, we touch them, we hear them, and all of that contributes to the allure and the taste of something. I can see that, but when you encounter something like ambergris, you have to stop and think, are we getting too extreme here? Well, well, of course we are, and, and very well we should. They've done this in food. If you look at Moto in Chicago and they're printing their menu and you can eat that menu. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, I think we all, can all admit it's funny and goofy in a, in, in a way, and some people are going to like throw up their hands in the air and scream. But for me, why not? We're not curing cancer here. We're having fun. Now, if you did come up with a cocktail that cured cancer, you'd be on to something. Yes, absolutely. Well, what we hope is that we provide the environment and those that are working hard to make our world better can relax. So, Rico, I think he's talking about us right there, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, we do tell people about ways to relax. No, we true. are the hard workers. Man. Oh. There, there are surgeons... There are relief workers, and then there are guys who wake up every morning, every mid-morning. Mid-morning. <laughs> and, and they get to talk to whoever they feel like talking to that week. That's right. It's tough. It is tough. You're welcome, America. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week, folks. Thanks to Jackson Musker, Ravi Carmen, and Peter Clowney. 
And now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner parties. Here is the radio department. It is not where we spent our college years. It's the name of a band. Uh, the song is called Heavens on Fire. Not our fault. Bon appétit. Galliano, I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Hi guys. Uh, hi Jackson. Uh, why are you uh, bench pressing cocktail shakers? Shoot, be quiet.